they scared us into thinking that um, being gay is is punishable by going to hell, and I believed it. And they also believed that our future, what our future held was marriage, children, and taking care of the husband. That's what it was for me. I mean, when I was 13, that is, when I was 16, it was 1983, so it was... Uh, beginning of the 80s so growing up for me i was thinking right i'm going to go to hell <laughs> if i if i if i have sex if i'm intimate with a woman or even if i'm lesbian and i'm never going to find my knight in Sharminga armor it was like a really hollywood belief that we have as children which i realize now is not true Welcome to Whose Or Is This? with Anthony Waite, a show designed to help leaders and high achievers increase their influence and impact by becoming intentional with how they show up in the world. If the wind does not favor, take to the oars. Here is your host, Anthony Waite. Good morning, Diane. How are you? Good morning, Anthony. I'm good, thanks. I would say good morning because it's you know really early here in the U.S. But where you are, it's uh, middle of the day. Um, where, tell everybody where exactly where you're, where, you're, where we're talking from. I'm in in the Netherlands. I'm uh, one hour away from Amsterdam by train. I'm in a city called Zwolle. It's very difficult to pronounce, but it's the capital city of the province Overijssel. So that's uh-huh. where I am. So Zw- Zwolle. Zwolle. Oh, there we go. Z-W-O-L-L-E. Wow. Okay. Awesome. Well, it's so good to see you. You know, you know, we met on, uh, on Clubhouse. I'd say met, but I heard your voice on Clubhouse. Uh, it's got to be a couple of weeks now that we first talked. And um, when I heard you speak and come up on the stage, I just knew that there was something special about you. And I love that we, got, we were able to connect afterwards and that you... Um, take the time out of your day to come on to my podcast and share with my audience. I really believe that they're going to be in for a real treat today. Um, so I'm thank you for that. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited. So before we get started, um, give us a little background about you, about, about Diane. You know, I, I heard your story a little bit um, on that Clubhouse platform, but I want to go back and just kind of give us a little snapshot of, of your life, if you will. Uh, how far back do you want me to go, Anthony? Let's say... Give us a little bit of young Diane kind of growing up and then that pivotal moment in your life where it turned you into the work that you're doing now, if you will. Okay, young Diane. Yeah, I remember being a tomboy at school and climbing up the gates and climbing up trees. I was always different to the rest. Um, I always liked, I was like a butterfly. I used to go from one little group to another. And in hindsight, I did that because I never felt I belonged. And I had, I made some good friends, but I had this feeling, you don't belong here. You don't belong here. But when I was 13, I realized that I was a lesbian. I had a crush on my uh, English literature teacher and English teacher. And that was a really big shock for me because I was born into a Catholic family with a very Catholic grandmother who went to church every day, who studied the Bible, a father who, 
who would only uh, be intimate with my mother if he knew he was going to get her pregnant, which wasn't the case because there were only two kids. So for me, it was like my dreams were shattered. At school, the nuns, we were kind of scared. We were, um, they scared us into thinking that um, being gay is is punishable by going to hell. And I believed it. And they also believed that our future, what our future held was marriage, children, and taking care of the husband. That's what it was for me. I mean, when I was 13, that is when I was 16, it was 1983. So it was uh, beginning of the 80s. So growing up for me, I was thinking, right, I'm going to go to hell. <laughs> if I if I if I have sex if I'm intimate with a woman or even if I'm lesbian, and I'm never going to find my knight in shining armor. It was like a really Hollywood belief that we have as children, which I realize now is not true. Um, it took me twenty years to come out of the closet. I was thirteen when I was twenty-three. I remember a German woman walking into my office. I worked with my father, by the way. I never, I never went to high school, so my father owned his own business. So it was a natural thing for us to just join him there. Um, and so, but and then he gave me at one point in my career with him. He gave me my own office, so I could manage my own office. And a, and a woman came into the into the office and we looked at each other and there was something and she used to come in every day because there was a gay bar right next to my office so a lesbian woman i was 23 i didn't want to be gay and the office that my father gave me was right next to potter's bar which was a gay bar anyway she used to come in every day we used to chat <laughs> synchronicities you know there's no i don't believe in coincidences and um one time she invited me to her guest house and when I went there, there was a kind of electricity. It was very, it was palpable, you know. It was really, we were really, there was something really, there was a good connection. And at one time we, we hugged one another and we both wanted more than that. But I was still having those same thoughts. You're going to go to hell. I felt loads of shame. I used to go to church and not be able to look at the cross. So I drove as fast as my car could carry me. <laughs> I couldn't run as fast as I, And I remember getting home, putting the shower on the highest, on the hottest possible, uh, the hottest possible gauge or, or, or temperature. And letting it, I, I, I burnt myself. I literally burnt myself. I was trying to burn the lesbian out of me. And I had this big brush and I was literally, I tried to burn and brush it out of me. And then I thought to myself, I can't keep on going on like this. This, this is not a life. I have to really do something about it. I either have to change my sexuality or I have to accept it. So I found a friend who was studying psychology who knew a counseling psychologist. He knew that she was uh, LGBT friendly and he put me in touch with her. And when I spoke to her, I even asked her if I could be given electric shocks. You know, you know how electric shocks yeah, work? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Marianne Bochkonen, who was my psychologist at the time, said to me, you have no guarantee that that will work. 
and we'll walk through your issues. We'll get through this together. And happily, two months into my therapy, I started to joke about it. And I started to make peace with it. And then I met a girl. We fell in love. I met her in a, in a Christian group. It was, a, it, was, it, it was nice just being able to embrace my sexuality. However, unfortunately, in that group, the leader of the group sensed that there was something going on between us. And one time we were invited to a, um, to a silent retreat. And it, it was really a great silent retreat. But the Jesuit priest who was leading and who was giving us all the exercises to do whatever um, looked me in the eye and said, we know something's going wrong. I want to know what's going on. Tell me about your life. And um, we, we need to fix it kind of thing. And I said, what happens if I don't tell you? Well, he said, if you don't, then you're not welcome to this group anymore. And the room started to spin. I remember the chair I was sitting on and I looked at him and I said, not even if you were the last priest on earth, would I tell you what I'm going through? And that was, that was horrible. And I decided there and then to leave the church. However, luckily for me, just before that incident, on our last silent moment outside, I was at Mount St. Joseph. It was sunny. And we're very devout to Our Lady. Malta is a very Catholic country. And I sat right next to the statue of Our Lady. And as I was contemplating, it was just dead silent. It was, I couldn't, you couldn't hear a pin drop. Then all of a sudden, it's like a wormhole opened. You know, when you watch these fantastic fours and, they, uh, and, and, you, and you go into another dimension. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and for me, it felt like I went into another dimension. It didn't feel like this mortal dimension, this mortal plane that I am in. It felt like I walked into pure love, unconditional love, joy. I felt then the truth of who we truly are. And in hindsight, then, because at that point, I didn't know what was going on. But in hindsight, I knew that I am in this world, but not of it. And who I am is pure love. And that helped me for the next 10 years of my life to get through, to navigate and to, to question, would God really hate me? And the conclusion I came to is that he loved me just the way I am. That is the story of my youth in a nutshell. There are more stories. Um, because it, didn't, it took me another 10 years to really come fully out to myself. It took me another 10. But then when I came out of the closet, there was no turning back. Yeah. And the one woman who really helped me out was Sister Jeanne Gramic, an American nun, who, who I met, who I invited to Malta after he, watching her story on video. She was threatened to be excommunicated by Ratzinger, who, was, who wasn't Pope. At the time, she met him on the plane, and he said to her in no, in no uncertain words, if you continue with your work, I will excommunicate you. 
and she kept building bridges because she's the founder of New Ways Ministry. She founded it with another priest, I believe. And what she was doing is she was building bridges between the lay, lay, lay people, lay, and and the church. And when I, she went, she wanted an audience with the Pope. I don't think she ever got an audience with Ratzinger, but she kept working. And when I saw her story, when I, I thought, we have to invite this woman to Malta. Luckily for me, she was in Rome. We invited her to Malta. She spoke. And that was the end of it for me. I thought, this woman knows the Bible inside out. She's devout. She's Catholic. She knows what she's talking about. And that was the end of it for me. I never looked back. Wow. <laughs> so would you say that she was kind of that, that affirmation that it's okay to be you? Yeah. Wow. Uh, you know, and I, I, listening to your story, um, you know, there's a lot of people that are listening to this and there's a lot of people over the world who are playing small simply because they are portraying an image that is not their true self. Um, they have not been, they have not been given permission to be themselves. Do we, do we need permission to be ourselves, to our, our true authentic self? No, no. Um, Do you mind if I tell you another story about, yeah, about this recognition? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was 33 when I met Sister Janine Gramek. And she spent four days with me in Malta. It was wonderful. It, it, just, it just affirmed to me what I was looking for, what I had been searching for since I was 13. And as I said, I never turned back. I joined a... I joined then an LGBT Christian group it's called Drachma. And I invite and I, I started working for LGBT rights in the Christian world. I, tr I, I, I knew I could integrate my sexuality with my spirituality or with my Christianity. And because I invited Sister Janine Gramic to Malta, the leader then, Mario Gerada, said to me, there was there was a big meeting. It was the European Forum for Christian Groups. And they were inviting people from different countries to go and join their conference. And Mark said, I think you should go. We have the money, you go. And I met a lady there. I met a lady in London and we fell in love. And after nine months, I decided to, to go and live with her. That's why I'm in the Netherlands. I've been in the Netherlands for 12 years. And Three and a half years into the relationship, I went home. My bags were packed. There were three women staring at me and one of them looking at me and saying, you're not loved here. Get out. My bags were packed. It was a dull day. It was, it was October and I had no money. It was devastating. It was a nightmare. I had, I had no job. I had nowhere to go. And I spent six months to two years i spent one year in a very dark room with with two windows but three doors separated from from the street so i had the front door to my apartment there was another door which was the the hallway and then another door and it was like my I, it was dark and i was going through this dark night of the soul this event really put me into a place where i had to question the universe just 
put me in a place where I had to question what I had done with my life, why I had ended up in that situation, why I had allowed myself to stay in a, in a relationship that was toxic, abusive, and, and basically I knew that it wasn't going anywhere. And the reason I stayed is one, I had no money, I didn't know where to go. And two, it's because I still carried around this, I was still walking around with this feeling of, with this thinking of, you're a waste of space. You don't deserve to be on this planet. You're, you're nothing. And it, it, being a lesbian and struggling with being a lesbian for such a long time, it didn't only affect my sexuality. It also affected me in, in the, as my personality. It, it, I questioned everything about me. So there was nothing good about me. So the universe put me in a situation where it gave me a second chance. It brought me to my knees. And it, the, the incident, the event made me take stock, made me take a good look at myself and ask myself, what am I doing here? Who am I? What were your dreams? What did you want to do? When I was 23, I wanted to go to university. I went to university, but I thought I was stupid. And because I thought that, I gave up. I failed one credit, I failed one test, and I gave up. 23 years later, 46, I had nothing. And I really cursed myself for not finishing university because I might have been able to do social work, but nothing, everything happens for a reason. Synchronicity, the universe has our back. And even though it feels like it's really bad, but there is a gift in every single event. There is gold in every black box. And so I questioned, I listened to every guru I could get my hands on. And Marianne Williamson was the one who touched my life the most. And you can use her poem and take snippets out of it. It's our deepest fear. Our deepest fear is not our darkness. Our deepest fear is our light. There is no gift in playing small. We were born to shine, not to play small not to play small for other people, to not feel small around us. And then it hit me. I've been playing small all my life. I haven't given myself permission to step into my power, to step into my light. I haven't given myself permission to be who I am, warts and all. And that is, that is what changed my life. That ending up on the streets, having to take stock, having to really look, and then realizing that nobody will give me that permission except me. Even then I decided to become a coach, but even then I was saying to myself, how dare you? Who do you think you are? You're, you don't have any accreditation. You, you have nothing. Well, I have this, the school of knocks of life. What's the expression? Yeah, the school I of hard that. knocks, yeah. School of hard knocks. Yeah. That has that been the best university of my life. When I was questioning, I was looking around everyone to give me permission to be a coach. And then I thought to myself, nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to give you permission. And then I, and as they say, the rest is history. And um, now I'm, now I'm speaking. I'm a speaker. I'm speaking. I'm, 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 now I'm just being myself. I've embraced myself fully. I'm 53, so it's about time. <laughs> you know, man, 
we could probably sit here and talk all day on this subject of people who are waiting for others to affirm them. And, you know, I love what you said, you know, whenever you said, I, I didn't feel like I was worthy, that I was stupid and that, you know, I didn't have what it took to do what I wanted to do. There's people out there that that are living life like this right now. Now, these are young kids and there's probably older adults. What would you say to somebody who has that inner voice, that, 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 that fight, that tug of war inside of their brain um, that, that's telling them that they're not good enough, that they don't have what it takes, that um, they need to you know, fall in line with what people think they should be instead of being their authentic self. What would you tell them if you were to sit down and talk to them uh, and walk them through a process or some kind of steps? To, to start breaking that pattern of other people's judgment and beliefs about you? Well, first, I think I would sit with and listen and listen to their story. And if they were to tell me they were stupid, I just have to imagine it. Just have to imagine someone. <coughs> Sorry. I just have to imagine someone sitting next to me and feeling small. I think the first thing I would do is tell them that I see them. I see them as the universe intended them to be. I see, I see their true self. I see, I see you and I see that you are a gift to the world and that they don't have to prove their worth to anybody because they're being here as a gift. The other thing I would say to them is that the story that they say to themselves is not real. It's a repetition of the sum of the stories that they've heard that have been told to them or their conditioning as they grew up. Stories that they adopted and stored in their hard drive in their part and that part of the brain that is automatic so i would first tell them to observe the story they're selling themselves to to observe the the derogatory names that they're using against themselves to just observe it to not fight with it to not to not try and change it, I would ask them to observe what they're telling themselves on a daily basis. And then to question what it is they're telling themselves. To really ask that voice in their head, is that true? Is it true? Or is it a story? And this is what I specialize in. I help people navigate that story. I teach people that the story that we tell ourselves on a daily basis, because everyone has this internal um, voice, internal narrative, the one saying you're the best person in the world and the other one saying that you're the worst person in the world. And both are stories because we're fluctuating between feeling good and bad during the day a hundred thousand times because our thoughts, thoughts are fluid by nature. They're like clouds. They're flowing. They're flowing through our mind. They're floating just like clouds float a thought floats. One comes, it dies, it's so natural death, and another thought comes. And then again, and that thought makes us feel sad, happy. So 
I would ask them to observe, to observe their story. What are you telling yourself on a daily basis? And question it. Is it really true what you're saying to yourself? Or is it something that you've adopted, something that you've believed for years? And can it be broken? Yes. It is. It can be broken. And as I said, not only can it be broken, do they need to take it seriously? Do they need to take what they say to themselves seriously? Because we're living in our mind all the time, all the time, and we're projecting stuff outwards. Now, Marianne Williamson, who, it's the book I'm reading right now, and it's called The Divine Law of Compensation. And what she says is that ego will tell you all sorts of things. It's very demanding, it's very cruel. And, will, and that voice will suggest to do things that are sometimes insane. And we innocently follow that voice. But the only thing that is real, and this is very difficult for people to accept, is love. Love is the only thing that is real. Everything else is, is what we keep telling ourselves, which we make, we believe to be true. So, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but I think the first thing I would do is I would really say to that person, I hear you, I see you, you are perfect the way you are. Yeah, I think that's important because, you know, we talked a little bit about your childhood and I think that, you know, I've done a little bit of studying on how we think and how we believe and how our program mind has has gotten us to where we are a lot of that thinking comes from a past right from a, a childhood like you said it has been programmed by somebody else and most people will live their life you know on repeat I, I usually share whenever I speak I say you know some people live to be 93 years old and some people live you know live one year 93 times <laughs> <laughs> yeah you yes. know mm-hmm. never really like you said never really taking time to to reflect and really you know become aware of the thoughts that they're having because we live in a world now that's so fast we got to do this we got to do that we got to keep up with this person we got to do that and then it's something that somebody says that triggers an emotion or a feeling that validates the negative thoughts that we've been having they say you're ugly or you're not worthy or you're 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 a horrible person and that thought that we've had that we're a horrible person comes up like hey i told you and <laughs> look what they said and now we believe it is true Yes, and the thing about that, that's, that's an interesting point you, bro- broke up, you brought up. Unless I already think that about myself, nothing anybody tells me would affect me. So let's say someone were to say to you, you're, I'm ugly, you're ugly, Diane, okay? If I already believe and think that about myself, I will do what you just said. You see, I told you, Diane. You're yeah. right, I told you. I told you you're ugly. You see, they just confirmed. But people will only confirm something you already believe about yourself. Mm, yeah. If you don't believe it, it wouldn't touch you. That's right. And you know, the opposite is true too. Whenever you believe that for so much, that you're ugly, that you're not worthy, and then somebody comes along and says, you know what? I love you. I love you for who you are. And what I found is that 
so most people find that hard to believe because they don't believe it about themselves and, and they're unable to be loved because they can't love themselves. Um, I have a question, Diane, because I always, I usually say this, you know, to my coaching clients or to when I'm speaking, you cannot give what you do not have. And if we don't love ourselves, can, are we, can we really be loved if we don't love ourselves? I think we can be loved, but we won't feel it. We reject it. We will yeah. we'll accuse that person of not loving us because we're not feeling the love that's coming from them. Mm. Yes, we can be loved, but we won't feel it and we will keep looking for it from different sources wow. until we, and because we'll be seeking validation. I did this for many years. I did, I, I, it's amazing how I felt. On one day I felt really good and on the other day I felt really bad because the outside validation was either positive or negative. So if someone really validated me and really said they really think I'm this great girl and this great person, I would say, oh yeah, I'm really good. But if on another day somebody would say the exact opposite, I would feel really bad because I was living on that validation. I was, my existence was only valid or valuable if I got validation from people outside of me. Now, the only person who can validate me is me because we don't live, we don't live in an outside out paradigm. People think that, that we live in a world that's outside in. So circumstances, events, and people cause me to feel happy, frustrated, angry, sad, elated, in love. So a person, the, the person is not causing me to feel in love with them. I am creating the in love feelings inside of me and I am projecting them on me, on that person. If, someone, if I were driving and someone were to, to cut across me, I would think that they are causing me to feel angry. No, it's my judgment of how I think he should behave on the streets. But it's my judgment. It has nothing to do with them. So when we're looking for validation, we're always relying on, 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 on outside circumstances to make us feel good. And that it's a never-ending pit of disaster, of, of, of seeking. And it's a very unhappy world, I tell you, because that's what I did. I don't do it anymore. Yeah, and that's, and that's so true. You know, we, and, you know, I always, I always uh, my mentor of mine said, you know, if somebody can make you happy, glad, sad, or mad, then you've been had. <laughs> and it's so true. Um, so let's talk about loving yourself because you spent most of your life really fighting that inner self, who you truly were, because, I mean, and these are big things, right? Your own parents, the church, your, your beliefs, you know, the religious beliefs. And think about how many people today you know, are, are bounded by those things, right? Uh, by the, the, the loved ones, by, you know, a, a community of, of, of Christ followers, you know, and I, I was raised Catholic myself. My grandmother was really big in uh, um, Catholicism and that's a very strong faith religion, you know? Um, so I've lost you. Uh oh, let's see. Did it come back? Let me turn off my, uh... I... okay. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you now. Yes, okay. there you are. There we go. Is that better? Yeah. Okay, sorry. Um, okay, no problem. So, 
so let's talk about loving yourself. You know, you, you were uh, bound by your own family, by, you know, the religious beliefs um, in the church. Mm-hmm. Some people there are, are, are living probably the same life, right? They, they're bound by something. How do you go about re-loving yourself and, and, and understanding your true power? That happened to me in 2017. The journey to finding myself started when I found myself on the street. First October 2012, about two o'clock in the afternoon. That's when I started to question. 2014-15, I I decided to, to use my experience to help people. 2017, I decided to join an online course um, which which is called uh, creating a thriving practice, a heart-centered thriving practice. And there was a lady, Terry Broughton, who is my coach, who, was, who has become my friend. And when I saw her, she was being interviewed by her husband, Tony. And she was talking about the difficulties, the talent challenges she was finding. She had to go and see a client. And she decided to share her struggles with us. And when she came on screen, I thought, oh my word, I want what she's eating. I want her light. I want to know what she's doing and I want it for myself. And I'm very outgoing. I'm really easy. I'm Mediterranean. So, and by nature, we, I say what I think. And I, I on Facebook, I, I made these comments. And she was really touched and she sent me a private message. She said, I'd love to have a conversation with you. And we, we met and I thought, finally, she's going to solve all the feelings, the self-hate I have, not be, feeling that I'm not loved, feeling that I'm not worthy of love. And she started to tell me her story. And it was very similar in ways because she also thought she was stupid and she, 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 she was a foster. She, was a, she lost her mother to asthma because the ambulance couldn't get her because of the snow. Her father committed suicide and she felt miserable. She felt, she too felt she wasn't worthy of love. And so we were sharing stories. And then at one point, she just looked me in the eye and she said, and I had shared all my story the same way I'm sharing with you. And she said to me, you're not your thoughts. You're not the story that you tell yourself. You're not the success that you don't have. You're not the credentials that you don't have. You're not your job. You're not your sexuality. You're not even your name. And I said, was it, I, and I said to myself, I'm not even my name. I got really angry. If I'm not even my name, then who the hell am I? You know? And I really got angry and I left the room. She left me a message. She said, I'd really love to have another conversation with you. And I said, no. But happily, she insisted. And that last sentence, you're not even your name, made me question, if I'm not my name, who am I? And who I am is love, stardust. I am source. I am love. And it stuck. It stayed with me. And I don't even need to love myself because that is what I am. When I attempt to love myself, it means that I've forgotten 
that I am that already and you can't find or love, love that which you are. So you, Anthony, all your clients and your listeners, that's who you are, love. And I worked with her and then I went back to her and, and I, I, I hired her for, for a year or so. And my life changed. I, I embraced myself fully. I embraced my humanity, my immortality. I embraced my character. I embraced my personality. And I got a bonus. I realized the truth of how God or the universe intended us to be. True love. That's, what I, that's, 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 that's my story about self-love. Yeah, that's powerful. Uh, wow. <laughs> Well, as we get ready to wrap this thing up, I, I would love to sit here and, man, we could talk all day, uh, but I have to get, get the day started today. And maybe we'll do this again, Diane. I would love to hear more about this. I'm so glad we connected. Um, but for the listeners out here that want to follow you, I'm going to put your links below, but where can they find you? Where's the best way to connect with Diane so they can hear your voice? Besides Clubhouse, because not everybody gets an invite, because that's where it's at. But yeah. where, where can people find you and just follow everything you're doing? I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I have my own podcast, butv.com. And if they want to hear Terry's story, it's episode 13. It's, it's called Indivisible. I'm on Clubhouse. My email is, is on, they can subscribe to my podcast. Uh, my email is dianshwirep at butv.com. And I'm on Instagram. You can find me anywhere. All you have to do is drop me a note and I'd be more than happy to, to sit and listen and talk and have a conversation. I, I really love this conversation. Thank you, Anthony. Diane, it's been my pleasure. And thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. I'll put the links below um, for, everywhere, for everybody to connect with you. And um, I can't wait for people just to hear this. I'm, I'm excited. And um, I just want to say thank you, Diane. I look forward to continuing to connect offline and, um, and hearing more of your story as we get to learn more about each other. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you, Diane. Have a good day, okay? <laughs> hey guys, thank you for stopping by today. As always, if you found value in the episode, please share it with somebody. And as always, we'd appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast. If you're looking to apply these principles and practices further in your life, then I encourage you to join a group of like-minded individuals in the Lead360 Facebook group. The link is in the show notes below. As always, remember, Live, learn, and lead.